Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you been using a lot of soap and sanitizer in your hands these days? I know I have, and every once in a while, they seem to get dry after using all of that alcohol-based treatment. And I don't think I'm the only one. Today, we're going to talk about common skin conditions, which you can probably see on your hands or on your arms or elsewhere on your body. And what are some of the ways to identify what they are? And how do you know when it's more serious and needs medical attention? So I have one of my Previous guest who has come back and joining us again, Dr. Ryan Sato, who is on the line. He is a dermatology expert, and he's right here on Oahu. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, Thank you for having me, Kathy. Now, let's talk about skin stuff, because, you know, we've talked about skin issues before, but there's there's this new up-and-coming thing that I'm noticing, and I suspect it's due to a lot of hand-washing and sanitizer use. Are you seeing some issues that people are coming in with related to kind of that over-drying of the skin and the best attempt to avoid getting COVID and using soap and sanitizer? I mean, I feel like we're doing the right thing, but, hmm, are we? Definitely. So, of course, we need to take uh, necessary precautions to protect yourself from COVID-19. Um, but unfortunately, with this and with a lot of hand washing, hand sanitizer, alcohol based, you know, if you can imagine removing that moisture, disrupting our skin barrier, definitely seen an increase in atopic dermatitis or eczema on the hands. And also to uh, people who already have eczema, that their eczema has been flaring because of it. Um, and, but, you know, unfortunately, we do need to take these steps to protect ourselves, but it can kind of do a little number on our skin. So when we think about using the sanitizers, of which I'm a big fan of, you know, I have bottles of sanitizer in the office and it seems really easy. You use it and it's it's really effective. Would we be better off if you're having some issues with with the use of the alcohol based sanitizer doing the full 20 second hand washing with soap that's a little more moisturizing? Or does that run the risk that you're not going to do your full 20 seconds and maybe you're not going to be as sanitized as you need to be. I think both are. Um, uh, it's difficult to say, and everyone's different as far as it. Uh, personally, I get eczema on my hands, and, you know, seeing patients, they need to wash my hands or use a hand sanitizer maybe 50 or 100 times a day. Um, and so with all the things that I use, uh, whether I'm washing my hands with soap, antibacterial soap, um, after I use the moisturizer, um, with any of our hand sanitizers, hand sanitizers in the office, I do and try and purchase uh, ones that already contain moisturizer in it. Um, so just to try and get that extra kind of boost um, for our skin barrier, um, despite having to uh, perform all these you know, cleaning practices multiple times per day. Well, that's interesting. A sanitizer with the moisturizer in it. That's uh, yeah. So they're yeah, they're definitely out there. I, I search for them because uh, if not, my hands my, my hands personally will get chewed up. Um, and yeah, so and that's not a good look as a dermatologist, there. you know, if you've kind of got chewed up hands, that's not a good <laughs> PR kind of move. Yeah, no, no. So, um, but yeah, definitely different steps as far as that. Um, and little things, and it does take a lot of work, though, as far as, you know, getting the right kind of hand sanitizer with moisturizer in it. Um, also, too, you know, uh, it's been kind of a long day, and if your hands are really dried at the uh, end of the day, definitely getting on a nice, thick moisturizer, sometimes um, moisturizers that are a little bit uh, thicker, petroleum-based. Um, even just plain Vaseline is great to try and drive in a lot of moisture um, at night or overnight uh, to kind of prepare us for the next day. 
Well, you know, one of the things that I found is particularly effective, and uh, it's kind of funny, but if I have a really bad episode where my skin's gotten really dry, I'll I'll do the thick moisturizer or the Vaseline, and I'll, I'll put my hands in, in socks because it's kind of hard to find good gloves, you know? I mean, it's not the easiest thing to find, but I've got a lot of pairs of socks, so I will have paws for the evening. But boy, you get up the next morning, and your hands are super soft, and they seem to be really well moisturized, so that's that's one trick that I've noticed that seems to help. That's a great way to drive in a lot of moisture, especially overnight. Um, we recommend that uh, to our patients as well. Um, just putting that uh, moisturizer in uh, with a sock, or they sell uh, uh, cotton gloves as well, um, to put that on and just to occlude it. and really helps to drive in that moisture. And if you're able to do that overnight when you're sleeping, um, something easy to do, you're sleeping anyway. Um, and yet, just as you mentioned, the next day, I mean, your know, hands can almost seem as good as new sometimes. Now, I'm curious because you mentioned gloves, and I know if you were going to try this at night with cotton gloves, it would be helpful. But a lot of folks out there might be using latex gloves, particularly trying to protect themselves from other things they may touch in the environment and just trying to you know, keep themselves safe. And how would you know if you're allergic to latex? Because I've seen a few folks come in, and that certainly seems to be the case by the looks of their hands. Sometimes it can be tough that you know we're using these products to protect our hands from different chemicals, whether... Um, you know, we're exposed uh, through occupationally or, you know, maybe through um, our hobbies that, you know, I'm um, doing a lot of refinishing on wood at home. Um, And so it can be counterintuitive where we're using something to protect our hands, but actually it's causing for an allergic contact dermatitis. Um, Seeing a provider and trying to uh, elicit a good history, uh, a lot of times can identify that. If not, uh, we can formally test somebody for an allergic contact dermatitis uh, with patch testing. Uh, where kind of in a nutshell, we put uh, these multiple panels on their back. It's not a fun week, uh, but with these, that um, they ha- we have all these little allergens that we can test somebody to see their reaction to it. And that'll pretty much tell you if they have a reaction to that. They're allergic to whatever that is. It should. Um, so we test for the North American Core Series, um, which um, is determined to be the eating most common allergens and can pick up a very large percentage of contact allergies. Um, and so typically with it, it can give us a good idea whether this is an allergic contact dermatitis. And, you know, a lot of times um, there's more, uh, more information in that if we do it and it's negative, that, you know, if we do it and we're negative, that we tell the patient, you know, great news, you're not allergic to anything. But bad news, maybe this is really just eczema, or that your skin is more sensitive and you don't have a true allergy to anything. Um, but that can give us a lot of information, especially for somebody having a, um, hand dermatitis. Now, other than trying to avoid the irritant, if there is one, what are the common treatments for eczema beyond moisturization? Is there other types of ways that we can address this concern, particularly if it tends to be more than just hands, if it's in various places of the body? Definitely. So we have a lot of uh, treatments available. Um, Of course, the fastest and most effective treatment will be uh, topical steroids. Uh, steroids always sound very scary, but, you know, these aren't anabolic steroids. But steroids really just decrease that itching, that inflammation. Um, safe to use on kids. My kids have eczema. I use it um, all the time as needed. Um, and as long as you're using these medications appropriately, um, there are other topicals, non-steroidals, um, that we can use as well um, to try and help control that itching and inflammation. Well, and I think sometimes in my world, steroids are a little scarier when they're in pills or injections. But when you're talking about topical, there is a different element of safety. It's not like you're absorbing as much as if you had to take a large dose of of pill steroids. There's quite a difference in several factors in that case. 
definitely if you're using it to um, local or uh, focal areas that as far as your systemic absorption, probably be minimal or zero, if any. Um, and as far as that really decreasing those kind of internal side effects in a total different ballpark than uh, those oral steroids that you mentioned. So common things are common. So eczema and atopic dermatitis seems to be fairly common. What are some other common skin issues that you see on a regular basis? A psoriasis would probably be another a very common uh, kind of uh, dermatitis or inflammation of the skin. Um, the difference being that eczema is uh, related with our skin barrier and that um, one protein we think it's related with is filaggrin as far as comprising that barrier um, to retain that moisture. And that protein may not be as strong as people. Um, psoriasis, kind of in a nutshell, that our own immune system uh, has a little bit more inflammation and causes for a rash. Um, sometimes psoriasis and eczema can look very similar. Um, if we're, and a lot of times we can uh, determine the diagnosis clinically or just taking a look in office. Uh, but a lot of, uh, but sometimes if we're not able to, that doing a skin biopsy or a little skin sample can give us more information. And how would you treat a condition like psoriasis? Would it be topical steroids similar to what you might do for eczema? Definitely. So a lot of times we do start with um, less aggressive treatments and still appropriate for a patient, but uh, trying to see if we can control it topically. Of course, if we're not, there are definitely uh, different uh, systemic medications. And as far as um, both patients uh, with eczema or psoriasis, I tell our patients that, you know, if you're going to get this diagnosis, now's the time to get it in any time in history. There's so many different treatments available. Um, and a lot of these things have really been kind of life-changing for people. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. Dr. Ryan Sato is on the line. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of these new life-changing treatments and how well they work to really help clear up the skin, particularly for those who need it the most. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Ryan Sato on the line. He is a dermatology expert. And right before the break, we were talking about the difference between eczema and psoriasis and how there are some new, potentially life-changing treatments out there. I'm curious, Dr. Sato, you said, you know, if you're going to have these conditions, now's the time to have it because the treatment options have really expanded dramatically. What is that expansion? What are some of the things we're noticing that might work for these conditions now that maybe we weren't aware of in the past? A lot of these treatments, or these newer treatments, fall into a category called biologics. Uh, these biologics, uh, essentially what science is able to do is really determine the exact molecules that are causing these different conditions. And by targeting these uh, molecules that we're able to kind of reduce that inflammation and really uh, reduce that uh, dermatitis, whether it be atopic dermatitis or eczema or psoriasis, and really kind of give somebody uh, the quality of life back. Now, this probably wouldn't be for somebody who has a small patch, maybe on the palm of their hand or on the on the back of their hand. This would probably need to be for somebody who has a fairly significant case of the condition, wouldn't you think? Typically, um, but it's everyone's different. So especially with uh, atopic dermatitis on the hands that, you know, I'll see people who are uh, bartenders or they work in the um, food industry or they're healthcare providers um, that, 
know, even if it's just localized in the hands or it's a small percentage, but, you know, let's say it's really inflamed, you've tried multiple different topical steroids, non-steroidal, not getting any better. I'm more than uh, comfortable offering um, them these kind of treatments. And with it, um, especially if these topical treatments were ineffective, and, you know, we always start with those, but if it's ineffective, that these treatments really can be life-changing, especially when um, we're dealing with, you know, our livelihood or our occupation as far as that. Well, that does make sense. If you're using your hands all the time and they're out in the public, you know, if you can't necessarily, I mean, in the medical profession, I always feel like, well, I could always wear gloves and it's probably going to be a little legitimate. But if you were at a bar and someone was wearing gloves, I think you'd kind of wonder what uh, what's going on here. It just doesn't seem as normal of a location as it might be in a healthcare setting uh, under certain circumstances. For sure. I think with COVID now, though, I think everything seems normal at this point. So it really doesn't matter. That's, that's very true. The the normal definition has expanded dramatically. Speaking of COVID, I'm curious, do you have you have seen anyone who has they sort of talk about like COVID toes or or COVID rash or things along those lines? You know, I guess if they had it, you probably wouldn't see them in the office because you wouldn't want to expose the other patients or your staff. But have you had an opportunity to see that even on video? I did. Um, initially, when the uh, pandemic uh, first started, I had a patient through telehealth um, who, you know, did have the COVID toes, and it was um, odd, and it was uh, interesting, and COVID had just started, so um, the typical diagnosis with these things, whether it be kind of a vascular occlusion um, uh, or chilblains, um, which is essentially kind of like a vasospasm as far as the blood vessels, it just didn't make sense in somebody younger as far as this. Um, and really, when you're looking um, online, as far as this, because everything was so new, that a lot of the information, you know, there's not time for these things to get, you know, peer-reviewed and published in medical journals. That a lot of times, it's just getting thrown out there, um, whether it be like uh, news media or uh, different kind of news outlets. And that these are the things we're reading initially when first uh, things first came out. Um, but yeah, it, it's cold. It's pretty wild, um, skin-wise, what can happen. But yeah, I did see a, a case through telehealth initially. Well, and that's that sort of gets to another point of, you know, we are literally living through the pandemic. So, you know, a lot of folks are concerned, what about the science behind it? And there's a lot of stuff for which we know, but we're also discovering as we go along the way. You know, when you mentioned that you saw this in the very beginning of the pandemic, yeah, I would have thought other conditions, vasculitis or some other type of skin situation that's a manifestation of uh, vaso vasoconstriction or occlusion. And yet now we're finding out, hey, it could be related to this novel virus. So, you know, I certainly think there's a lot that a lot that's changed over the last year to a year to almost a year and a half, and a lot of things we've learned. So that's definitely, definitely the truth. Now, for some of those folks who, who are on things like biologics, I would imagine that they have to be extra careful if they're taking something that could potentially affect their immune system in protecting themselves, washing their hands, sanitizing, social distancing, wearing a mask because of that extra risk. Definitely. Um, at this point with different or these biologics that there hasn't been any um, uh, concrete data saying that if you're on these, that it will increase your risk as far as COVID. Uh, theoretically, um, you know, these medications are calming down our immune system and that's what we want. You know, sometimes our immune system is a little bit too active, the different biologics with psoriasis um, that theoretically maybe could increase our risk. Um, regardless, though, with all of um, our patients, you know, um, and especially if they're on a medication like that, I'm definitely recommending uh, to get the uh, vaccine if available. 
Well, and the ironic part is in some cases there's a thought that, you know, in some cases they were looking at whether these medications could actually protect the overwhelming inflammation that occurs in the body in response to COVID. So it's sort of this catch-22. We don't know. It could be helpful. It might be harmful. We're just, we're collecting the data in real time. So you're absolutely right that if uh, somebody's concerned at all, there is the potential now to have vaccination that a year ago we didn't even have that as an option. So we are seeing some improvement over time in what's accessible to us to help protect ourselves. And that's definitely something that's important for everybody to know. Now, what are some other, you mentioned psoriasis, a common skin condition. You know, I, I occasionally I'll see somebody who might react to neosporin. I was kind of surprised the first time I saw that, and I suspect it was to the inactive ingredients, maybe not the active ingredients. But is this another common thing that you might see is somebody with the best of all intentions using a topical over-the-counter ointment and maybe having a reaction to it that might make things worse? Definitely. Oh, we see that all the time as far as um, somebody getting a cut using a neosporin or uh, bacitracin as far as a topical uh, over-the-counter antibiotic uh, ointment just to try to prevent infection, and rightfully so. Um, but as far as developing an allergic contact dermatitis, um, not uncommon at all. Um, also, too, with an allergic contact dermatitis with these topical antibiotics, that they can occur at any time. So someone could have used it their whole life, and they said, never had a problem, um, but all of a sudden develop a, uh, allergic contact dermatitis. And it can be difficult where... Uh, we're evaluating it, and the question becomes is that is this still part of the infection or is this really a reaction to one of the topicals you're using? Um, typically, uh, in-person evaluation and uh, kind of eliciting a history can give us a lot of information. Um, typically, an infection isn't that itchy, but, you know, if someone's complaining a 10 out of 10 itch and using uh, neosporin or bacitracin, um, then maybe this is really an allergic contact dermatitis rather than um, an ongoing infection. Well, and you brought up an interesting point. It could be something they've used time and time again and never had a problem. And now they use it, and for whatever reason, they're having this reaction to it. So, you know, sometimes with other medications, we go, oh, have you ever taken penicillin before? Then you're probably safe. But in this case, you know, you could have used that same topical treatment multiple times, and now there starts to be some trouble. You brought up an interesting thing. You said if it itches that bad, 10 out of 10, it's probably not from infection. Yeah, so that can definitely kind of uh, give us a lot of information um, as far as, you know, trying to determine whether this is an infection or um, uh, a dermatitis. Uh, dermatitis uh, typically or a lot of times can be itchy, uh, but, you know, if someone's reporting kind of more pain, swelling, pus, you know, kind of more signs of an infection. What should somebody do if they get a cut and they're concerned they might be having a reaction to the neosporin or bacitracin? You know, is it time to go to the good old peroxide? Uh, typically, don't recommend that. Um, with the uh, peroxide, sometimes or a lot of times, it's just too irritating on the skin. Where you know, some uh, if they're trying to heal up, but using that hydrogen peroxide, it's just chewing up that good tissue. Um, if they do, if someone does feel like they're having uh, allergic contact uh, dermatitis, there's something definitely going to um, seeing their primary care provider, uh, urgent care, or dermatologist uh, for an evaluation. A lot of times, we can prescribe. Um, a topical antibiotic, which will not cross-react with uh, those, which will help. And also, too, if it really is an infection um, that a topical antibiotic isn't helping, uh, maybe oral antibiotics would be more appropriate. 
And that's the time when sometimes you got to rely on the pills to treat it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more with Dr. Ryan Sato about the ways in which telemedicine has transformed the practice of medicine in some ways for the better and some things you probably still need to come in and check out. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Ryan Sato on the line. And right before the break, we were talking about the best way to handle a cut and what can you do. And if it starts to look infected, sometimes it's time to get some antibiotics for it. And that may be topical, but it might also be in a pill variety. I'm curious, you know, one of the things that we like to do in primary care is sometimes do cultures of wounds, particularly if they look infected and we're concerned about certain types of bacteria that could have resistance patterns. And that's the kind of thing we got to do in person. I'm curious from the perspective of a dermatologist, what things do well over telemedicine? And, you know, this past year, we've all learned a different way to practice medicine. What things still require an in-person evaluation? And telemedicine uh, has really helped our practice and really uh, to help the patients in the end um, being more available um, as far as uh, evaluations um, for patients, uh, especially sometimes we have patients who um, go to school or in college on the mainland that, you know, this way we still can see them through telehealth. Um, with telehealth, um, that I think great um, appointments for these would be more like acne visits have worked out really well um, if it's uh Local uh, rash or dermatitis. A lot of times, we can see through uh, telemedicine and to make a diagnosis and you know prescribe a medication. Um, things that don't work out as well, is, of course, you know, obviously if we need to do a procedure. So if something looks like skin cancer, we need to do a biopsy. You can't do uh, do that through the internet. Um, skin checks. We definitely have people come in um, as far as that. And of course, if it's something that we're trying to do through telehealth, but it's just it's not working out, or I'm not getting a good visual with it. You know, the easiest is that you know, just let the patient know I think, you know, will be best suited uh, to come on in the office and we can take a look in person. Have you seen any particular skin conditions that someone might have let get a little worse over time just because in the beginning of the pandemic they were afraid to come in? I mean, I know the corollary in medicine is we have seen people who have delayed cancer screening and sometimes come in with a more advanced case because they were concerned during the pandemic. I'm wondering if that happens in the world of dermatology as well. Uh, yep, we are not immune from that as well. So um, sometimes, especially uh, older individuals who are very concerned with uh, uh, having a COVID infection, um, we're delaying uh, screening and or if there was a growth that they uh, were a little too afraid to come in in person um, as far as an evaluation. So sometimes these skin cancers were a little bit more progressed. Um, typically, though, with skin cancers, a lot of times it can stain the skin, so still be able to be treated. Um, but of course, you know, the larger it is, the larger resection uh, would be necessary also, to the larger it is, more risk of it spreading to other places. Well, and that can be concerning. I know we've talked about the 
triple three, the melanoma, the basal cell, and the squamous cell on this show before and kind of tried to give people some good ideas as to what they might be and how they're different. But it does come down to a lot of sun exposure. And I guess that's the other thing. One of the safest things to do these days is to go outdoors if you're going to exercise. It might be a little safer than being indoors at a gym. Obviously, if you're in your own house, that's a slightly different indoor experience. But a lot of folks have been out in the sun, maybe more than they're used to. And they might be noticing some things that require a double check. How would you describe the type of thing you'd want somebody to come in and have checked out? Uh, in general, if I tell our patients that if it's something you're concerned about, I'm concerned about. So if they notice something changing, not healing, um, bleeding, sore, definitely come on in. Um, uh, but of course, you know, cancer doesn't need to be symptomatic. That if something's just growing or looking darker or looking more irregular, um, could also be signs of uh, something worrisome. Um, and in general, nothing will be an uh, um, evaluation as far as um, uh, a lesion that someone's concerned about. So don't fear the dermatologist. Uh, smaller it is, easier it is to take care of. That's a really good a good way to think, to consider that, is that the smaller, you know, it's probably easier to take a look at that and figure out what it is. You know, it's been it's been quite a journey when we think about how medicine has changed. And in fact, you were one of the first dermatologists that really did a lot more of the technology in your practice. You know, you had virtual check-ins and you had folks doing things even pre-pandemic years ago. You were sort of doing this kind of idea of like a virtual waiting room. And, you know, it seems like it's it's now the rest of us have gotten on board and we're starting to do somewhat similar things. But uh, that's certainly taken us a while. And I think there are some changes that have happened throughout the last year and a half, two years through the pandemic, some of which I hope go forward. I do think there's a unique niche for telemedicine under certain circumstances, and it sounds like you found the same in dermatology too. Definitely, and, you know, on the bottom line with all these things, that we just uh, hope that we're able to provide better care to patients. And uh, I, I always have a tough time thinking of good things of COVID, but if there is any uh, things that it would be, hopefully it's, uh, allowed us in medicine to adjust and be able to offer a broader and uh, more comprehensive care to patients um, by using and utilizing technology. Um, and hopefully that will continue to go forward. But I still hope that hopefully COVID goes away eventually at some point. Uh, but hopefully the technology and um, that uh, broader range of care that we're able to offer will still remain. Well, I'm with you on that. On the first part, COVID going away, and on the second part, keeping the technology around. And, you know, it almost makes me wonder, in the past, some of the neighbor islands have had such a specialty shortage that with the ability to do things over telemedicine, they may have access to things that if they have to fly over and be checked out for, that's fine. But if there can be something done in their local community and a specialist can help out using telemedicine for that particular condition, boy, wouldn't that be ideal? It saves a lot of flying and travel and all sorts of things. For sure. And uh, with telehealth and um, insurance is relaxing that requirement, um, we definitely have uh, seen a lot of patients um, on the neighbor islands as far as treating, whether it be just with topicals, but even if things were real severe, that we're, uh, we're able to get patients on different biologics or more um, aggressive medications that otherwise probably may not be um, available to them um, locally or if so, that um, the wait time as far as seeing somebody locally was just way too far out. Um, so it's still real fortunate uh, being able to take care of our, our neighbor island friends uh, with uh, telehealth. 
Well, we've got about a minute or two left. What do you think is next in dermatology? Where should we be looking at seeing some technological or or other scientific improvements? I think probably in the next um, year or two will be um, very exciting as far as different uh, systemic treatments coming out for uh, eczema. Um, the current uh, treatment out is a dupixent, which really has been life-changing for a lot of people with uh, severe uh, atopic dermatitis. Um, but just like psoriasis, there's going to be new uh, medications coming to market in that field of eczema. So it should be uh, exciting to see as far as um, the, the help that they can offer patients. Well, we've certainly come a long way from when I was in school, and that's just dating myself from the use of, you know, topical steroids is basically all we knew how to do. And so so it certainly has come definitely far from the roots of what I remember. But uh, I think you've also been part of helping to treat those folks throughout the islands, and, and I appreciate all the hard work and effort that you've put into that. So I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. I was going to talk to you, Kathy. All right. Well, we are going to have to do it again because there's always stuff I could learn about skin again and again and again. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And we will see you next week as we continue to talk about health topics that hopefully are pertinent to all of us right here Monday on The Body Show. We'll see you then. Thank you.